Charlotte's NBC station WCNC.com ran the following report back uh, in August of last year. Chef Ping Fan of Guangdong province in China cut off the head of a spitting cobra as he prepared to dice its body for a soup. The Daily Mail reports. I don't want to make anybody hungry this morning, but I'm going to continue reading. But 20 minutes later, as Ping was tossing the head in the trash, the head was still functioning. That's when the venomous creature bit the chef who died before anti-venom could be provided. We could hear screams coming from the kitchen, says one restaurant guest. The bite results in paralysis and asphyxiation, the Daily Mirror notes. It is perfectly possible that the head remained alive and bit Ping's hand, says an expert, adding that reptiles can usually function for up to an hour, even after being decapitated. By the time a snake has lost its head, it's, it's effectively dead as basic body functions have ceased, but there is still some reflexive action. It means snakes have the capability of biting and injecting venom even after the head has been severed. Now, why in the world did I tell you that story this morning? Was it to give you the heebie-jeebies? Uh, was it just to make sure you're awake? Was it to just to see you squirm a little bit in your seat? Was it to remind you if you kill a copperhead, don't mess with it? It may still bite you. No. I told you that story, that report, because I think it's an accurate, accurate picture of our enemy, our foe, our adversary, that old snake, that old serpent, Satan himself. Satan is a defeated foe, but he keeps on biting and striking and fighting. And we see it in our passage this morning in Revelation chapter 12. I want you to find that spot in your Bible, please. Revelation chapter 12. And we'll read it in just a moment. But I'm going to be talking to you today about some of the key players in the end time drama. Uh, some of the key players. We're going to introduce some of the key players to you uh, beginning today. Now, many of you know what I mean uh, when I say the term Trinity, right? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you understand. Well, you, 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 you sort of understand just like I sort of understand the doctrine of the Trinity. That is, the Bible uh, teaches that God is uh, three in one. Uh, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And while we can't fully understand it, we accept it by faith. The Bible teaches it. We're told in the Great Commission to even go baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's been uh, illustrated this way before to help us to understand uh, the Trinity somewhat more better. Uh, God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. So you have three in one, three distinct persons, yet one God. There's unity in the Trinity. And I think if we could understand the Trinity fully, we would be God. Uh, but we take it by faith. We believe what the Bible teaches. But just as there is a holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is also an unholy Trinity. An unholy Trinity. In fact, if you look at this next chart, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. But in the unholy Trinity, we have Satan, 
the Antichrist and the false prophet. And as we study these next two chapters, chapters 12 and 13, we're introduced to the unholy trinity. Now, we'll see the mastermind behind it. We'll see the one that represents, if you would, the father's position in the unholy trinity, Satan himself. And then we get to chapter 13. God willing, next week, we'll talk about the other two members of the unholy trinity, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And these are some of the key players in the end times drama as it unfolds before us. Now, by now, you've found Revelation chapter 12 and we're ready to read. But before we read, let me just caution you just a moment and let you know right up front that what we're about to read uh, may cause you to raise an eyebrow or two. We're going to read about a fiery red dragon who wants to eat a woman's child. We're going to see war taking place in heaven. We're going to read about a serpent who's spewing out water, seeking to destroy the woman. But then the earth comes to the aid of the woman and helps her so she's not destroyed. And the earth ends up swallowing up the water and I tell you all, don't close up your Bible. Uh, Don't get discouraged. We're going to try to clear up any confusion and bring clarity to what this passage is teaching. Because this is one of those chapters when you're reading the book of Revelation, you begin to wonder and maybe say, what in the world is all this about? Well, I'm hoping to help you uh, to understand it as I understand it, as God has helped me as I've studied this out. Revelation chapter 12. Let's just do this. I'm going to read the chapter as you follow along in your Bible. Then we'll come back and we'll try to unpack it together. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse five. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that, that she sh- that, that they should feed her there one thousand two hundred and sixty days and, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. 
Verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, I told you. Now, that's not the type of story you read to your child before bedtime, is it? Johnny, let's read tonight in Revelation chapter 12 about the dragon waiting to devour uh, this child. We need to understand as we read that together, as we've read it together this morning, that some of what we just read is a review. And some of it is a preview. Some of it's already happened. Some of it's going to happen. Some of it is history and some of it is prophecy. I think the best thing to do is go ahead and identify some of the characters right away and kind of get the, our, our, our bearings about uh, who is who here. And I think we need to go ahead and just talk about the woman and the child and the dragon and kind of understand exactly who these characters are and who they represent. First of all, I want you to notice that the woman is Israel. The woman is Israel. It says in verse one that she was clothed with the sun. The moon was under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. And she's great with child about to give birth. Now, how do we know that this is Israel? Well, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the very first book of the Bible. You remember that Joseph, my favorite Bible character, we know we studied Joseph's life from beginning to end here. It's been a while ago, but we studied Joseph's life. And, And Joseph had some dreams, you remember? And he had a dream that he shared with his brothers. In fact, he shared the dream and they hated him even more. And his brothers eventually sold him into slavery. And we know that God worked all those things out. But in his dream, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, the Bible says that he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Now, in that dream, the sun represented uh, Jacob. The moon represented, we assume, Leah, because Rachel was already dead at this time. And the 11 stars that were bowing down represented his 11 brothers. And, of course, Joseph would have been the 12th of the sons of Jacob. And so we find here, it says in chapter 12, verse 1 of Revelation, Then a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head were a garland of what? Twelve stars. And so the woman here is Israel, the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel, as we read about here, this woman is about to give birth. And she's going to give birth to a male child. Who do you think the male child is? Jesus. The child is Jesus. In fact, we know there's no doubt to his identity because in verse 5, it says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus' earthly life is is kind of summarized here by the bookends. We're told about his birth, then we're told about his ascension. We studied the ascension this morning. 
in Sunday school, it talks about he was caught up to heaven. And of course, if you look at the birth to the ascension, it includes everything else. His sinless life, his death, his burial, the resurrection. And so we have this woman who is Israel, gives birth. He comes to the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, gives birth to this male child, this son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know the woman is Israel. We know the child is Jesus. Now, who is the dragon? The dragon is the devil. The dragon is Satan. In fact, we're told that verse nine makes it clear to us. It says in verse nine. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. And so we have no doubt then who this is. The dragon we read about here is Satan himself. Now, I want to talk to you a few moments today about Satan, because he is a key player when it comes to the end times. And this chapter, chapter 12, tells us a lot about Satan And what he's up to and what his plans are. And I want to leave with you three main truths concerning Satan that you need to know. Three truths about Satan that you need to know. And I want to show you what we find here in this particular book uh, especially. Notice first of all, and don't miss this one. Make sure you get this one down. That's this. Satan is real. Satan is real. We've got to start there because if we get that wrong, everything else will be wrong. Satan is real. He is a real person. Satan, it it doesn't just stand for a force or evil in general. We're talking about the devil and Satan and Lucifer and that old snake and that old serpent. We're talking about a real created being. Satan is a real person and the Bible is clear concerning him. Now listen, this is not a seminary class and I'm not a professor in a seminary. And so I want to be real careful about how much stuff I give you today, because we could talk a long time about Satan and about all those sorts of things. But I want to kind of give you some of the the main things, some of the highlights here, some of the, the high peaks, if you will. And I want to remind you that Satan is a real created being. He's an angelic being. He was probably the highest created angel that God made. But sad to say, he did not keep his place. He rebelled against God. We can go back and read about that in some of the Old Testament books. But he rebelled against God and he took with him other angels. In fact, verse four, did you notice what it says in verse four? His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And many Bible scholars believe that's a picture of a third of the angelic beings fell with him. And so where do demons come from? They're fallen angelic beings. The good news is that that is concerning fallen angels. That means there's two angels to every demon. Did you realize that? Because only a third fell. So there's two to one as far as the ratio is concerned. But Satan is a fallen angel. And he's the leader of the fallen angels or demons. And he's cast out of heaven. And we see that he does have limited access. If you go to the book of Job. We find that Satan presents himself and God says, where are you based? I've been walking to and fro throughout the earth. By the way, Satan is not omnipresent and he's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not all knowing and all in the same place. He's walking to and fro throughout the earth. So he has limited access to heaven at this moment, but he's been cast out of heaven. He has limited access at the moment, but we see a description of him in verse three. It says he's a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. That's a picture reminder 
that he's the ultimate power behind the evil world systems and the evil world empires. He's the one that energizes them. He's the mastermind behind them. When you look throughout history, it's Satan who's leading these things. And you know, beloved, that the Satan, the devil, hates Jesus and he hates the Jews. I want you to understand that the devil hates Jesus and he hates the Jews. He's anti-Christ and he's anti-Semitic. That is, he hates them and he hates us. And Satan, the devil, is real. And you need to understand that. There are those who say, well, there's no such thing as the devil. Yes, there is. And the Bible's clear about it. Satan's a real created being. But there's a second truth you've got to understand. Not only is Satan real, but secondly, Satan is relentless. Satan is relentless. Just like that dead cobra in the opening story, he just won't give up. He keeps on waging warfare against the Lord and those who belong to him because he hates the Lord and he hates Jesus and he hates the Jews and he hates Christ's followers. Perhaps you heard the story about the uh, old lady who never spoke ill of anybody. I mean, she never had an unkind word to say about anybody. And someone said to her, a friend said to her, I believe you would say something good even about the devil. Well, she said, you certainly do have to admire his persistence. Well, we don't have to admire it. We do have to admit it. He is persistent. He is relentless. He does not give up. And we see that he has been busy from the initial fall where he rebelled against God and wanted to be exalted like God. From that time way back in in history, he's been relentless in the Garden of Eden all the way through to today. In fact, he's so bold and so relentless, we read about him tempting the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels. But he's relentless in his attack. He's relentless in his works. And he wants to thwart the work of God. He wants worship. And here in Revelation chapter 12, we're reminded of his plan to destroy baby Jesus. Did you notice in verse 4, the picture there? In the middle of the verse, it says the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. You can kind of picture it in your mind, can't you? A lady there about to give birth, a dragon ready to eat that child. And do we not see that play out in history? Because after Jesus was born, we find that Satan puts in the mind of Herod, does he not? To go out and kill all those little babies, two years younger, two years old and younger. We find a great slaughter and they're weeping and wailing. Imagine what a time that was to live in. Why? Because he wanted to destroy baby Jesus. He wanted to destroy the Messiah. He wanted to destroy God's work. He hates Jesus, but he could not defeat Jesus. Jesus is victorious. And so Satan has been busy hating and trying to destroy the woman. That is the nation of Israel. Let me just insert this. Now, we know that he also hates the church and he wants to destroy the church. The church is the bride of Christ. But the church is not in the picture here in Revelation chapter 12. Why? Because we've already been we've already been uh, taken home to heaven. We've been raptured. We're with Jesus at this point. The nation of Israel is in view here. This woman. And we move from the past to the future. We move from thinking about what Satan has done and what's. You know, he's been busy doing. Now we move to the future, the great tribulation time. Why? Because he's relentless. He does not give up. And I want to walk through these verses with you this morning. We'll come back to verse six in a moment. But look at verses seven through twelve. Verses seven through twelve. We find that war breaks out in heaven. War breaks out in heaven. You know, there's so much that goes on that we have no idea about. 
And there's so much behind the scenes. But here the, the curtains kind of pulled back and we're able to see that there's war going on in heaven. And Michael, the archangel and his angel go to battle with the devil, uh, the dragon and his fallen angels. Now, how exactly they fight, I don't know, but they fight. And they're battling and the dragon and his evil cohorts, the Satan and his demons, they lose and they're cast out of heaven. It says in verse eight, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. You say, well, I thought they were already cast out. They were they were cast out long ago, but they have limited access. Why? Because they're the accuser of the brethren. We'll talk about that in a moment. But here, this is a permanent casting out. He's no longer able to accuse the brethren before God. He's doing that now. He's relentless in it. Look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night. See how relentless he is? Day and night has been cast out. You see, beloved, he accuses us. Before the father. And if someone mentioned he has an airtight case. Because we do sin. And we do fail. And he can say to God this morning. Look at that preacher of yours Rodney. Look what what he did. And he can accuse me before the father. But the wonderful truth beloved is that we have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have one to plead our case. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Satan points out my sin. Jesus can point out his blood. And the marks in his body. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, listen, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. It's not God's will that we sin, but we know we will sin from time to time. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so when the accuser of the brethren comes, says, look at your look at your child, look at your children, look at what they did. Jesus said, I died for him, Father. I shed his precious blood for him. He's in me and his righteousness has been my righteousness has been credited to his account. And it says in Revelation 12, 11 and 12, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Imagine what a day that will be. Satan no longer can enter and become the accuser of the brethren. He shut out. And they rejoice. But notice what it says next in verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So we're moving from heaven where Michael and the angels have overcome and defeated and cast out Satan and his evil cohorts, the demons. And now we come to earth and the dragon is angry. And he's ready to make war against the woman, Israel. But we find that God supernaturally protects Israel. Go back and pick up verse 6 now. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by whom? By God. That they should feed her 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Look at verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He hates the Jews. Verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle 
that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Now, some some Bible scholars, they're just they're amazing in their interpretation. They see America right there with the two wings of a great eagle. I said, that's our Air Force coming in and delivering the Jews. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I think God gives these uh, wings here to the great. I hope it's America. Oh, praise be to God if we would be around and, and turn back to God and stand with Israel. By the way, the day we turn our backs on Israel, we're in trouble, beloved. I believe that's what's preserved us so far. But the woman who was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's three and a half years, time one year, times two years and half a time, a half a year, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So now we find him being referred to as the serpent. So the serpent, still Satan. Spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that she might that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon. Now we're back to the dragon spewed out of his mouth. He said, well, preacher, what is that? I don't know. I don't know if that's literal water that he's spewing out. I don't know if that's a picture of some sort of persecution. Obviously, some sort of persecution, maybe literal water. I don't know. But God supernaturally supernaturally protects the woman, protects Israel. But we find that Satan is, what do we say? Relentless. He does not give up. And so even though he can't get to them, God's protecting them. God gave them wings. God's preserving them. He says, well, I'm not giving up. Look at the next verse. Verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. Angry. And he went to make war with whom? The rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, who are these? Well, some see it as other saved Israelites. Some say, no, this is the 144,000. He's going to go battle them. And some see it as saved Gentiles. Say, well, how can saved Gentiles be the seed of the woman? Well, while we're not physical offspring, we are spiritual offspring. Did you ever read Galatians 3.29? And if you are Christ, listen, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I kind of liken that to um, these. I think it's probably unsaved Gentiles, uh, those who are spiritually uh, part of Abraham's seed, the woman's seed. But the point is the same. Satan is relentless. He does not give up easy. He wants to destroy God's people, God's work, God's glory. But that brings us to a third point. I told you there were three things I wanted to give you, right? And in fact, I'm glad you stayed around for now and you didn't run out and get a drink of water. This is my favorite point of the message. Not only do we find that Satan is real and relentless, but listen, Satan is ruined. Satan is ruined. That is, he's defeated. He's doomed. He's ruined. And he knows it. Verse 12 even says there what? The very end, the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows, he knows that he has a short time. It's important for us as believers to remember that Satan, our adversary, is a defeated foe. He was defeated at Calvary. He was defeated. And his final days are winding down. In fact, if the truth be known, Satan's heading down, down, down. He's going down. He's already been defeated. Look at Revelation 20. Let's fast forward a little bit. This will be fun to look at Satan's ruin. Revelation chapter 20. He's ruined. No hope. Chapter 20, verse 1. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. We say, well, praise the Lord. He's bound, but keep reading. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So he's going down. The day is coming to be bound in a bottomless pit for a thousand years, and then he's going to be let out again. Well, don't give up yet. Drop down to verse seven. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. What did I say about Satan? He's relentless, isn't he? And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God of heaven and devoured them. Now look at verse 10. The devil, that old serpent, that dragon, Satan, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the oh the rest of the unholy trinity, see them, where the beast and the false prophet are. Now read the next sentence. What's it say? And they will be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever. He's ruined. He's ruined. He's real. He's relentless, but he's ruined. There's no hope, no ultimate victory. He's a defeated foe. His days are numbered. But what do we do with all this? Hallelujah. He's defeated, but we're still here and he's still here. Well, there's three things I want to share with you real quickly. What do we do with all this preacher? Well, may I suggest three things? First of all, listen, repent. Repent. Stay in Revelation 20. Look at verse 11. We just read that Satan is cast to the lake of fire, right? Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from the face of the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. Now, these are unsaved people I'm about to read about, not saved people. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Now watch the next part. Then death and Hades were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, who's in the lake of fire? The devil, the beast, the false prophet, forever and ever, and all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I say that today because if you are not born again, you just read about your destination. Your destination. The lake of fire. But you don't have to go there. The Bible declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, beloved, I urge you today, if you don't know Jesus, repent. Don't go to hell. Don't go to the lake of fire and spend eternity with the devil. 
and his cohorts and those who rejected Jesus. Repent. The second thing I need to say to you is rejoice. Rejoice. You notice back in Revelation chapter 12 that when he was cast out of heaven permanently, there was rejoicing. Verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. I don't know about you, but I rejoice today in knowing that the Satan's days are numbered. We look around and and we can always sit around and say, well, why did God allow it in the first place? I don't know. But he did. But he always put the limit. Even you go back and read when Job is, is, is tested. God says you can go this further, but no further. You can go this far, but not any farther. And so we rejoice today in knowing that we have a defeated foe. Satan's back was broken at Calvary. And we don't have to worry about his victory. He's been defeated. There's a third thing. We're here and he's here, right? The third thing is this. We need to resist the devil. We need to resist the devil. He's real. He's relentless. He's working in our midst even today. And in fact, he's working in our lives at times, isn't he? In fact, the Bible says very clearly in uh, the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the key there is the first part of the verse, I think. Don't miss that. It's not just resisting in your own strength, resisting in your own power. It says, therefore, submit to God. So I rely upon God. I obey God. I lean to God. I look to God. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then the Bible talks about putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and having done all to stand. And so we realize because he is real, because he's relentless, because he hates Jesus and he hates those who know Jesus and belong to Jesus. He hates us. And he wants to work in our lives to destroy our testimonies and destroy our families and to try to destroy our faith. He wants to work in this church to destroy what God is seeking to build here among believers. And he'll use you and he'll use me if we allow him to. We must resist him. Submit ourselves to God. Resist him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Submit ourselves to God. Repent. Rejoice. Resist. Remember that we... Battle a defeated foe. I want to close with this. I don't know who the source, I don't know who said it originally. I've heard it many times. But I love it. I think it's a fitting closing to our time together today. You know, he's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to bring things up in our past that's already been forgiven and already been put in the blood of Jesus Christ. He loves to bring those things up. He loves to accuse us and remind us of days gone by and what we've done and all our failures. But I love what somebody said, and that's this. The next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Remind him of his future. The lake of fire forever and forever. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is Savior, Lord, King of Kings. And one day, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Rejoice. Resist. If you haven't already, repent today. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your holy presence. We know that within ourselves, we are not powerful enough to face this foe. But you've told us in your word to submit ourselves to you and then resist him and he will flee. You've told us to put on the whole armor of God, those wonderful things you've given to us that we can stand against his wiles and his craftiness. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. 
Help us not to be a tool or an instrument of the foe, of the adversary. As he seeks to destroy our lives, our testimony, our church, help us each one to faithfully, faithfully resist him in the faith. Now, Father, I pray in closing, if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, that you'll bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ this, this very moment, that you'll help them repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus. We love you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close this morning, 410. You may be wondering about this particular closing song, but it's interesting. We have to think about the beauty of the song and as well of my soul. But the second verse in 410 says this, though Satan should buffet, the trial should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And have shed his own blood for my soul. Therefore, it is well. It is well. He's the accuser of the brethren. But Christ is the redeemer of the brethren. And he's redeemed us by his blood. If you don't know him today, I would invite you to come. We'd love to sit down and share Christ with you. Of course, the altar is always open, friend. If the Lord's laid something upon your heart, I invite you to come. But let's stand and sing. If you can sing this truthfully today. 410, it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing.